How you guys doing? All right. Using the carbs for good. Well, hey guys, do me a favor. We're going to actually uh, start. I guess I should do the intro stuff. Welcome to The Remnant. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. Probably already said it ten times. Um, I want you guys to watch a short video um, of someone who has impacted my life a lot, and then we will we'll dive into this. I sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails, the crown of thorns, and Jesus crucified for me. But even could I see him die, I would but see a little part of that great love which, like a fire, is always burning in his heart. You are valuable to God. You are unique and a composite fashioned in the image of God for a particular purpose. What it means to be human is to be created in the image of God. What it means to find your destiny is to find your creator who has created you and why he has made you for a purpose. So in general terms, the Imago Dei, in particular terms, it's not who you are alone that defines you, but whose you are. That is my prayer. To me, the person of Jesus Christ provides that coherent answer in the incarnation. He identifies my malady, provides for my malady, draws me into that relationship, takes me through the process of suffering, shows me the purity of Jesus himself in the way he taught and lived. And ultimately in rising again from the dead, he teaches me that time is merely a temporal thing. We are here for eternity and he alone is able to take us through the cross past the open tomb into the very presence of God. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. There is no other worldview that will give you corresponding and coherent answers to the four questions of life with logic, consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto yeah. the others. describes your heart. He provides for your malady. He equips you in suffering. He puts meaning into every moment in history. And he conquers death through the resurrection from the grave. Surrender to him. Love him. Follow him. Serve him. Live for him. And take his message wherever you go. Anyone, raise your hand if you're familiar with who that is. Yeah. Raise your hand if you have no idea. <clears throat> that is Ravi Zacharias. Uh, crazy story. He was raised in India. Um, his parents were not Christians. They are now or were through his life. And, uh, you know, you can go online and read his story, but it's pretty crazy. Riding a bike and Jesus found him in India. And... Uh, I love this guy. He died, um, was it last year? It was last year, right? And uh, I, <laughs> I know the men's group probably thought I was a weirdo because I posted in there because I, I, I sobbed the day that he died. I've never met him, but I sobbed because I'm, part of my story is the fact that at the beginning it's because I didn't know how, but later on I was just rebellious and I wasn't in church. I didn't have 
the people like you guys, the awesome people who taught me and showed me, you know, answered my questions, all of those kinds of things. And so I had a lot of mentors that I haven't really met, right? C.S. Lewis is one, I've told you that. And Robbie Zacharias is another one. And I, if you know me well, and I've told this story many times, I'm one of the first, the thing that annoys my mother about me, two things. One is my mouth, is what she used to say. She would say, LT, if it was, was not for your mouth, you would never be in trouble. Uh, ironically, I use my mouth all the time now. Um, it still gets me in trouble. But two is I ask a lot of questions. I'm the guy that's like, you're telling a story, and it's about what happened at work, and I'm like, hey, what color were the walls? And you're like, you know, and my mom had to do that forever. Like, what does that matter? What does that have anything to do with it? Um, so I have a lot of questions, and uh, I wanted answers, and I wanted the truth. And the thing I love about Ravi Zacharias is that you heard that, right? That was his heart. It was always the gospel, at least what I saw. And he made, he answered the questions I had. You know, he gave me the ammo that I need or helped me think. He even taught me how to think within my faith. And uh, I genuinely mean this. Like, I was tearing up there because I feel like I know him. Because I've, I've spent so many hours with him, even if he didn't know I was there. Um, so when he died, it really broke me. And even that was powerful, right? Everybody can admit that's powerful. Here's the crazy thing. So when he died, it came out that he had been... Allegations came against him for sexual misconduct. So essentially, he would go to massage parlors, get massaged and then other things, and say things to the women, and get, you know, get nude pictures sent to him, all those kind of types of things. Now, when he was alive, the first one really came out, and nothing came of it, really. You know, he, he denied it. His ministry, big ministry, denied it, um, because they, they're interested in apologetics. Everyone know what that means? Apologetics is having an answer for your faith, intellectually even, because some of you in here think that Blind faith means unthinking faith. That's not true. You know, Jesus, God said, you know, seek with all your heart, soul, and mind. <clears throat> so, uh, you know, and then he got cancer. It's really crazy. He ended up dying. Um, and then after that, uh, you know, a barrage of accusations. You know, he owned massage parlors. He's a part-time owner. Um, and I haven't, I haven't actually looked into it yet to see, you know, what has come of that, though his ministry eventually came out and said, hey, um, he had some dark stuff. He had some secrets. A lot of pastors that had him on their stage have said, you know, he was false. And some of the most, dis some of the things to me that are most discouraging, that's not what really gets me. And I've talked to Tim and AJ and numerous people about this because I, this rocked me because this guy had an instrumental part in my life. But, you know, saying things like, you know, this is my reward for a life of ministry, you know, that's the one that got me, that made me go, dang it, you know. I, I was okay. Believe it or not, I still said, hey, man, I've done dumb stuff, a lot of people, but that one got me. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, so people have said he's false. In fact, there's people that come out and said, this is the most, people are dramatic, but this is the possibly the most like, deceitful uh, speaker, ministry, big ministry person ever. Like, that, that's a huge accusation. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Ravi Zacharias repented. 
of this. There are people that say that even a couple months before his death, he was still receiving pictures after, you know, when he's bedridden and, and hid that. He had two phones, all these things. I don't know if he repented of that. And I don't know if he knew Jesus. He certainly knew about Jesus. Uh, and he knew him very well. And so I know that much. I don't know his heart. I don't know if he's with God today. Here's what I do know. Ravi Zacharias changed my life, built my faith. And what do I do with that? What do you do with that? And I also know this, that I don't know how far the cross goes. I don't know. I'm about to choke him now. I don't. You know, what I say here, I don't know, because I don't ever want to make an excuse for those types of things. And if he said that, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's messing with people's faith. But I know this much, that you can't out grace. And so for me, it boils down to, did he know him? And can you know him and, and be so stuck in something that you, you hold on to it to the end? I don't know. I don't know. My heart hopes Ravi Zacharias is with Jesus. That's my hope. And my mind can separate his flaws from his giftings. And I will show clips from him forever. And I will probably go back and spend time with him again because it meant something to me. But it's a fair question to ask. What do you do with someone like that? Well, I've seen the variety of answers. Some of you in the room, right? You know, you, you know what's interesting? Some of you in the room are, com, are, in the, are erring on the side of grace. Some of you are like, yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, maybe he is. Some of you are erring on the side of grace because you don't know him. But if you knew him, you'd be condemning him. That's just how it works. You say you forgive everything until it affects you personally. Then you find out, maybe I don't forgive everything. Maybe I don't believe things are possible for Christians to do, you know. That's not the point today. Because the point is actually found in the example of his life, regardless of where he is. Certainly, we can say that he had his life, his ministry has been tarnished. His legacy has been tarnished. Um, and that's tough. And he might have been false. That's hard for me to accept. That, I won't lie. That, Todd, that is hard for him to accept. <clears throat> that he would, they would hold that all the way till the end. I mean, but that stuff happens, right? The fact that we even question, and the fact that I'm even questioning whether or not he was or wasn't, the whether or not we, we, we wrestle with that, right? That there can be people that appear to be Christians but aren't. The implications of someone appearing the right way but not truly following. We should think about that. What are the implications for the gospel? What does the gospel do here? What are the implications for people we know? But most importantly, what are its implications for you, for me? No one would have known if Ravi Zacharias is not with Jesus. Then nobody knew, maybe even himself, because he didn't slow down long enough. False prophets. I love you guys out there, you, you protectors of the church. False prophets, that's weird. False prophets always say the things that, that you don't agree with. Isn't that weird? Like, we tend to use that term when it's the people we, we don't agree with. Yeah, wolves in sheep's clothing. Hmm. Those are real things. 
But have you ever noticed this, the concern only seems to be when it involves leadership? The thing is, if there are leaders that are false prophets and there are leaders that are wolves in sheep's clothing, then it stands to reason that there are people within the church that are false Christians and wolves. And so, as I ponder that, I say, which one of us? We tend to think that every false prophet... Every false Christian knows they're false. Now stay with me. I'm not going to mess with you. Meaning they, on their day-to-day life, are saying to themselves, I'm going to fake this. You think that really? Some do. But most people have a tendency, human beings, to believe our own lies. And to ignore the parts that we don't like and follow the parts that we do. So... It's entirely feasible and possible that there's some people in this room today that you think you're a Christian because you come to church or because you've been in church for 40 years or because what? Mommy and daddy told you that or because it's just what you are. But the truth is, have you ever asked yourself what actually makes me a Christian? Is it recognizing that Jesus is the Christ? No. Can't just be that. Is it that he's a good teacher? Is that he is a good person? Is it that his church is good? Is it that good deeds are good? What makes someone a Christian? Even the things I say to you when I say, confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? And was raised from the dead and you will be saved. And some people walk in and they say words and two years later we find out that was never real because you never thought about what that meant. Because if he is Lord... That Jesus Christ is who he said he is. That phrase doesn't just mean saying it. It means acknowledging it and responding as though he is Lord. What are we really saying with false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing? We all talk about it. You know, it's funny. I have never personally, like I'm, I'm wondering where these false Christians are. We're, we, talk, we talk about them. They're in the Bible, but they're never in any church. Like they're not in our church, right? And if we, we they're in one of the others, and then the other ones are saying they're in this church, and then the other ones are saying they're in that church. Where are they? Because it sounds like they're made up boogeymen, unless they're in all of them. Today's one of those days. It was interesting. I did the guys. No one knew the topic. Not a singular person knew the topic. Even the person typically. Tim and I used to talk. I'd give him a synopsis as he kind of um, would make this. We've kind of transitioned that to AJ's been making these ladies. He does a killer job. Great job. But different style, right? I, I, don't, I didn't tell him anything. I told him we picked a name, and we, I kind of gave him an idea of the thought I had in my mind, and then he found a cooler one, and that's the end of it. He has no clue what I'm going to talk about today. And yet, I found that he prayed things that I, you probably didn't hear because you're just ready to go home. And that's for the other people. That's the other thing about these kinds of messages. It's always for the other person. Who's it for? I. I, This is who I am. Remember the mouth get me in trouble thing? I'm already here. There are people in this room today that I do not believe are Christians. I believe you are not. 
I'm not supposed to say that. And it's not because I'm better than you. It's not even because of your bad things you do. Because most of the time I don't know any of them. It's, I don't know how to put it into words. It's because, I don't know, you can sometimes see it. Now, I don't say that judgmentally. It's not my place to judge, just like it isn't with Ravi. And I hope to God I'm wrong. There are good people in this room that don't know Jesus. You just know of him. You've called him Lord, but you haven't responded to him as Lord. It's not about your sins and all that, though it does show itself. What, you know, when we think about all of these things, though, when we think about these people, the people like Ravi that are in the church that we all say are in there, the wolves and the false people and the fakes and the people that aren't really Christians and the religious, right? Oh, we're all against the religious, yet where are they? <laughs> Can somebody point them to me? They're never in our building. Just like the heretics are never in our building, our being whoever's church you're at watching this out there. Typically, that's because no one wants to make you guys mad in the church because you're going to get all grumpy if I start saying stuff and then you leave. And it's like one of the things about pastoring people don't understand. This is why it's a miracle, literally a miracle that I'm still here because I just am too, like I'm literally to, to a sinful degree. Like I don't, like I get sad. That's not, of course I do. I'm human. But man, like some pastors, I have such a heart for them because they probably want to preach hard truth. But imagine having your livelihood for your family, dependent on whether or not Bob is mad at you. Because a church has created a culture in which Bob has far too much power and may not even be a Christian, but he can direct and tell the pastor what to do. That stuff happens. So anyway, it's them, right? What do we think about what we're saying? It's not just them that should be concerned. We should also think about what all of this could mean for us. The concept that there are people who appear to be believers but aren't. The judgment seat, the great white throne. You ever heard that? Raise your hand. Great white throne of judgment, right? The day when, quote, all will be revealed. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Jesus talked about this all the time. There will come a time when the Son of Man will come back and he will not be a body on a cross. He will be the King of kings and the Lion of Judah and all of your excuses will fall on deaf ears. All of mine. In that day, all the charades stop. In that day, the great masquerade of religion stops, and our excuses will fall on deaf ears before a holy God. The Bible says he comes with a sword when he comes back. That should, Todd, that's scary. That's not Jesus. It is. We all either face the consequences in that moment of our life. Actually, we will face the consequences of our life or we will reap the benefits and be welcomed on the merits of Jesus Christ's life. Those are the only two options. Because all the amount of good works that we do are, as the word says, but filthy rags in comparison to a holy God. What's the implication of being false? Huh? You want to know why I get so, Todd's a, he's just a mean pastor. That's not true. 
Well, maybe. But I'm not angry when I preach typically. What you sense from me at times is not like anger at these people. I am not like them and they make me mad, whatever we're talking about. It is this literal frustration that I can, but, and I can tell, I could literally tell and I could get fired tomorrow if I just call you out for it because I could see it in your eyes that you're not listening because you don't think it applies to you because your mind is caught up in today and tomorrow and getting that paycheck and wifey and husband and kids because you do not grasp the reality of our situation. I get frustrated because, you know, if someone was paying attention today and then decided they don't believe this, I respect that. Well, I'm tired and I've had a long day. Come on. Because I bet when you walk out here and you pull your phones up, all of a sudden you'll be wide awake. Also, you better never yell at your children for not paying attention at school if you still can't pay attention for 30 minutes. I figure if I'm making people mad, I'll go across the board. What is the implication of being false? What do you think really happens to a fake Christian? Do you think every fake Christian knows they're fake? Or could they be fooled by the religion? Could they be focused on the serving Jesus, but not possibly following him? Listen to that. I told you last week, I even had people go, it was hard to pay attention because like, I, you know, we've heard that a million times. I'm like, no, you didn't because you didn't listen if that's what you thought. Because I, I know what hit me. That the first thing he always said, follow me. He didn't say, stay in this town and clean it up. He didn't even say to his disciples, stay in this town today and feed the poor. He didn't say, stay in this town and do good works. He said, follow me, because where I go, those things happen. Today we're going to look at two sections of the Bible that are terrifying. I'm going to tell you right now. They are terrifying. I am terrified and haunted by these two sections. And if you're not at all, you're not listening. You're not listening, camera people. There, I got them. It's not just you guys. They've already shut it off when I yelled at them. We're going to look at two sections. And it's funny. They're both in the book of Matthew. And they're separated by a lot of chapters. But they're talking about the same time. There'll be a day when there will be a separation. Listen to me. You can't cling to your wife's faith. You can't hold on to your husband's faith. You can't hold on to your parents' arms. It will not matter. You will be separated. Not by blood or by marriage or by name or by ethnicity or by anything else except one simple question. Do you know him or do you not? And does he know you or does he not? God will separate the disciples from the false. He will take the skins off the wolves. He will throw the good and the bad in different piles. And the excuses are gone. No more wondering. No more playing with fire. We'll find out. I'll find out whether I'm his or not. The section we're going to turn to before I tell you what it is. Oh, I'll give it to you so you can look. It's uh, Matthew chapter 25, <clears throat> verses 31 through 46. Don't put it up yet, guys, because they, um, 
We'll be able to pay attention. So the context here is <clears throat> Jesus appears to be in the temple complex teaching. So up until this time, he's been teaching a lot of the other, you know, just the, the people. Well, he shows up at the temple, and he's interesting. The reason I'm telling you this, it's very, very interesting. Before, Jesus would talk about, but he really kind of avoided conflict with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite, those that looked apart. He avoided it, even though they were getting mad. And then he just strolls right into the temple, and it's in that moment that I think, you know, my time hasn't come. Because it's funny, by the way, isn't it funny that when the time comes to crucify him, when the time comes to hit him, it was only after the religious elite got challenged, the religious. So anyway, he walks in and he starts teaching. Now, he's not just being a punk to them, though he does eventually speak directly to them. And it's funny, he's taking all the challengers on. I like it. The Pharisees come out and the Sadducees, they're all like, we're going to fool him. We're going to trick him. We're going to try to get him to, to show he's false. And then, of course, you know, eventually they get him in a technicality with the Roman law because they could find no, nothing in him. It was a lie, right? But when he's talking to them, he begins to give examples of what is the king, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when God comes back? What is the kingdom of God? And I told you guys, and we're still doing it, we're going to do a kingdom of God series. We're going to explain how each aspect of what the kingdom of God is shown in the parables that Jesus says about them, right? And reading the Bible, how many times does he say, and the kingdom of God will be like this? And we just kind of glaze over it. I know you do, me too. We, but there's a lot there. And in this section, he says something that's terrifying. All right, so chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? Jesus. That's a prophecy name. If you always wonder where that came from, meaning the one who, who is representing us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a sh shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did also for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, me, ye who are cursed. <laughs> king James came out there. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. And I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. And we find here a simple answer again. Well, what do you mean? Righteous and not righteous. I mean, it's very simple. There are no shades of gray. 
There's no account for who gave the most money or served in the most ministries. There's nothing like that. This is not a story. Why did he speak to them as sheep and goats? So they were an agrarian culture. What did that mean? They're farmers. They understood that. And sometimes with us, we're like, oh, what does it mean? They're just cute animals at the petting zoo. No, there's a difference. You know, the sheep and the goats, they were together. And what's interesting is he let them stay together until the very end. And it was he who separated them. There's another lesson here. Sometimes, you know, we get the, I told, you know, the great protectors of the church, the sin police, they always make sure their job is to find those goats, right? Isn't that funny? And all they'd have to do is look in a mirror. What can we see from this? Well, there's a lot here. God, let's, let's put it in words. Jesus is coming back, yes? And he's going to separate people. He's going to do the good and the evil. Oh, great. That is good. <laughs> and he separates them, these two people, the sheep and the goats, and he says unto the one side, and he does this peculiar thing. He says, when I was hungry, you took care of me. When I was sick, you, you uh, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. Todd, I thought you said works don't save us. They don't. They don't. Hold on. Then he will say, well, he asked him, he said, listen, whatever you did one for any of those people, you did for me. Now, here's the thing. Again, we get the other side. He says, hey, by the way, you're out of here because you didn't do any of those things for me. And he said, what are you talking about? We didn't do it. And he said, what you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me, right? Gone. Listen, both sides were unaware. I'll say it again because you're clearly like, yeah, I get you. No, you don't. Both sides were unaware. They said, when did I do that for you, right? When did I do this? The other one said, when did I do this? So you can't say, well, they didn't. If you don't know, then, then you're, you're okay, right? Because if I knew it was Jesus, I would have helped him. That's the point. That's the point. And before, we'll get there in a second. See, to them, this is all shocking, to us, we're like, well, yes, that's what we do because we are a hippie church culture today. So that's like love is cool, truth is not. We're all about love. This is a love section. And most of you here, no one's going to go, I don't want to feed the poor. Like no one's going to say that. The point here is, very simply put, is that the implication is a true disciple of Jesus Christ will look outward and naturally want to show compassion and love to those around him. While a person, stay with me, that is not a true disciple of Jesus Christ, though they may feed the poor sometimes, and though they may do things sometimes, they are so preoccupied with self that their life is not lived, outward focused and looking and seeing opportunities to show compassion. You don't, you're not listening, I can tell. I'll say this again. You are unaware. Your self-preoccupation, your preoccupation with self has prevented you. Apparently, remember Jesus said this, they had to have had opportunities they did not take. Why didn't they take them? Because they're so self-occupied, so focused on themselves, what I get, what I do, what my family gets. You think that doesn't make you selfish. My family. 
my friends. Whereas on the other side, they were unaware, and Jesus said, but you've been doing it. They didn't even, they, to them, it was second nature. When they see the hurt, they want to give them, they want to comfort them. When they see the sick, they want to take care of them. When someone is in jail and desperate, they want to go to them. When someone is hungry, they want to feed them. All of it. If we see a naked person, that sounds crazy, right? Or a homeless guy with no shirt on in the cold, we give them a shirt. Why? Because they're in, they, they cannot help but do that because of whose they are. Both of them were unaware, but for different reasons, right? This one is unaware that they've been doing it because they didn't do it. Why? For any other reason. That's the key. Listen, they didn't think it was a big deal. What are you talking about? We never did that for you. And that's a beautiful thing where he said, no, remember this guy? You remember that person? Remember when you gave this and gave that? That shows your mind. You are like your father. And then this person says, what do you mean? I didn't even see anybody. If I would have seen you, I would have taken care of you. And then imagine seeing the moments that pass by. Yeah, you serve on the mission trip in the other country. But you walk by the broken person on the ground outside your door. That's deep. And that's why sometimes I can tell by you going, you're not listening. That is such, to me, that's terrifying. Am I doing it for the show? Or does my life reflect it in every decision I make? You know, I had a family member a long time ago say to me, you're taking this God thing too seriously. I've told this. They're not, they're not believers at the time. And you know what's crazy? Yeah, that sounds so wild, but some Christians in this room today, you live the same way. You say that when someone tells you or reminds you of the call of Jesus, you get offended because you, that's, that's going too far. And if you're in this room today and you think you're one of the ones that Jesus isn't talking to at all, like you're not even considering it, and you're just like, oh, those poor people, I'm worried for you too. I'm worried for myself, I'll tell you that. I'm worried for myself. But it's all a joke, right? If you're 12 or 15, you've got 70 more years. My 13-year-old friend was murdered by his stepfather while his mom was. He, I'm sure he thought he had that too. Problem is he was old enough to know, you know, those types of things. I've had multiple friends die in car accidents. I'm sure you have too. 20 years old, 19-year-old, 18-year-old, 21. You think people just wake up and go, today's the day I die. That's terrifying. Eternity has to matter now. Yes. I guess that's why I've always struggled with the Christians, and I'm one of them. Because we live in this arrogance where this stuff stops having meaning. <laughs> anyway, so there's that. So, okay. So somehow, as long as I do good things... Right? That's pretty much what you could take if you wanted to. Some of you might be going, well, I, hey, I take care of the poor, and I do all this. Okay, good. You're, I'm going to connect it with another section that covers all the bases, although it's very similar. Matthew chapter 7. In this case, it's in the Beatitude. Jesus is teaching, Sermon on the Mount. We all know it. And Matthew chapter 7. Go ahead, guys. Verse 13 and 14, and then we're going to drop down. Verse 13 14. Jesus says this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many 
who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. You ready for this? This is good. You ready, David? You're going to like this little clue I found. It made me feel good. There's a gate, and then there's a road. Follow me. (laughs) That's good, right? The comparison there, he could have said there's a good gate and a bad gate. He didn't. He said there's a gate, and then there's a road. A gate's a one-time thing, right? I go through the gate. I'm in the gate. A road is not. It's step after step, mile after mile. Drop down to verse 21. So after he says that, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, here we go, Jesus is saying, man, every now and then he just says, he lets it slip who he is. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you lawbreakers. So let's break this down. It's another cool little parable, right? This is a nice another parable. No, let's, let's listen to this. So apparently, if this doesn't blow your mind, I don't, this, this blows my mind. I'm like, I've read it. and then Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. He doesn't say, um, you never prophesied my name, you never drove out demons in my name, and you never did miracles. He didn't say that. Instead, he says, I never knew you. A couple of things. One's a bonus. One is even the miraculous, even the miraculous is not proof in and of itself of whether a person knows Jesus Christ. We see that throughout the Bible in case you're like, no. Pharaoh, all the way back in Moses' time, he did some crazy stuff. He made sticks turn to snakes. Everybody forgets that part. They're like, oh, no, Moses did. No, Moses just ate the rest of them, you know, for God's. But he did it. Right? The prophet Elijah, hey, here's some fire. And, uh, and, and that's what was so cool about him showing off, right? This happened. People are like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he goes, or they were doing these things. And he's like, yeah, just put some water on here. Which, by the way, in the moment when it came down to it, when it was who's more powerful, nothing happened. Except for God, Right? That's a cool section. You talk about swag. Like, hey, we set it up. He goes, yeah, it's not done yet. Pour water all over it. Not, so let's go through this. One, not many will enter. Right? We can take that from this. Listen, not many. Typically, we tend to think that's the world. So we're the little subsection of Christians, which in comparison to the world makes sense. However, he's talking to people that were following him at the time people that were following him. These are the people at the Sermon on the Mount that, he is, that are there to learn from him. And he says, hey, not many of you are going to find the road to life. Which we know, right? Because the, the crowd got thinner and thinner as they followed him and the cost got greater. Not many will enter. See, everybody loved Jesus when he was handing out free bed, bread and fish and healing you know, the blind and doing crazy things. That's pretty neat. We like magic tricks. But all of a sudden he starts talking about, hey, you don't get to do what you want all the time. 
Oh, and by the way, you, I'm talking to them, but I'm, I'm talking to you. I'll say this again. I said it a couple months ago, but it's important in case you missed that day. Listen, in the story of Jesus and the Gospels as we read, you're not standing with Jesus. You understand? You and me are in the crowd. When we're at the Pharisees, it's not me and Jesus, and this one got me. I confess that to you because for the longest time, that was one person, people that I was like, I will fight for them. And that's okay that I wanted to do that. But I remember the realization when Jesus said to me two things when it came. The Holy Spirit said to me two things, right, in my heart. One is, you're not standing with me when I'm talking to them. I'm warning you. And, Todd, didn't I preach to them every day? They deserve to. Why did he do that? He loved them. Just a little confession. Not many will enter. That's clear. I don't need to go into that, right? We all good there? But not many, what? Of even those that call themselves Christian, do you really believe, even though it's getting lower now, let's even say 50% of America is Christian? Come on. Okay, but where is the 50%? Because every church I go into, no, I'm like, all right, which one of you are real Christians? Okay, which one of you are fake Christians? And then 50% of them raise their hand. That doesn't happen. So what does that tell us? Some of them might be lying, right? We've heard the stories. I've told you where the guy's like, I hate this, but I'm on the show. Oh, I'm with you. There's probably a few of those, but a lot of them are like, oh, not me. Be true disciples. We see that from this section. He said, hey, Lord, Lord. Oh, my goodness. He didn't call him Buddha. He didn't say he was a good teacher. Actually called him Lord. And then Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. In fact, when they say, Lord, Lord, we'll enter the kingdom of heaven, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Well, Todd, I thought you can't earn your salvation. I thought you can't lose it. That's not what it's saying. And this is important. I've been saying this over and over for months in this church. And you guys, I don't know if you caught it. There's the same nugget as in all of this because that's where I feel like we are. We are. <laughs> The will of my Father in heaven, what he doesn't say is the person who does, who wants to do some of the will of my Father in heaven. But they have a willingness and a desire to do it all. There are many people, even in this room today, I can tell you how, what you should be scared of. It's okay to question. It's okay to ask questions of leadership, even of church, and you can think that I'm doing propaganda on you because L.A. and Lionheart's going on, and you go ahead and think that. That has nothing to do with that. But it's a good barometer. No matter what's happening, okay, if you get to a point where someone shows you the Bible and you're still arguing, that's a clue. Do you want, well, then, or, but it's funny is you know just enough, you, whoever, those people know just enough scripture to be dangerous, but so did Satan. You tend to remember the verses we tend to remember the verses that we like, right? Now, some of them are, guys, by the way, if you remember verses, that's great, right? You should. Some are cling to your heart. We get that. I think you're smart enough to know what I mean. But, boy, we, you can come back with ammo. Todd says, here's the big one. We, lately, I never, I cannot believe I've become this guy, Tim, because I swear to you, it, Andy, every time there's part of you that's going to be like, what a hypocrite, right? Because of the way I used to be. It's the truth. I'm about to say it. Church, go to church. I get it. I don't, <laughs> I get it. It's just a big one. I think all of you, by the way, are the people that want to be here, right? But um, <clears throat> it's so interesting because I'll say this, and I'll say, well, here's your verse. You want to know a verse? Here's a verse. 
do not neglect to meet together as the habit of some. There's one. I mean, there's others that point to the. And then immediately they go, yeah, well, it also says judge not lest ye be judged. And the first thing I say is like, have you read the section that that comes from? Because I think you actually proved my point. Because one of the sections in there, actually, when it's talking about that, is like, hey, you shouldn't judge the world, right? Because that's my job to separate the goats and the sheep. But within your own walls, we hold each other to a standard, and there is some judgment. For instance, if I come over here with a bottle of vodka and a line of Coke and start snorting it, you're all going to say I shouldn't be up here preaching. Why? Don't judge me. Right? Yeah. That's not what that means, but people do that all the time. It's funny, but it isn't. Now, here's the thing, and, and guys, listen. I do love you. And sometimes it's not even that I think you, maybe you're not that person. Maybe you are. And I don't want to put fear into you about your salvation. We'll get to that. And isn't it funny? The true disciples are always the ones that sometimes live in that fear because they, they so desperately want to. That's a clue, by the way. We got we to gotta minister to them. But the ones who are sitting there going, I can't believe you. Right? <laughs> See, ladies, I don't always make snotty woman voices. I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> But do you do that? You know, remember the nugget I've said, and I'm skipping. I I should go in order. I'll get to it. I'll I'll just remember the nugget, and I'll say, here's the nugget. Deal? I get so excited, Tim, I can't handle it. All right, here we go. It's not some of the things, but a willingness, desire to do all of them. That's why the road. You might take a step, but do you keep going? Because, again... 3,000 people followed him for a time, 5,000 people. In fact, when he came back to Jerusalem, they started calling him, hey, Hosanna, celebrate. Here's the king. Here's the Messiah. And then there was the same crowd. You don't think there were people from that crowd in the crowd going, crucify him, crucify him? You know why they did it, really? You know why the Jewish people were joining the crowd, other than the religious elite? Because he didn't do what they thought he was going to do, which was militarily overthrow Rome. And when he didn't come through the way they wanted, kill him. Because there's no way God can do something not the way I want. Even the miraculous will not gain someone entrance into heaven. What does that say about our good works? Because earlier I told you, and this is why we got to put this together. Matthew 25, he says, hey, you didn't do these things. That shows it. Here's the thing. Doing good things to bring attention to yourself is not the same thing as in the name of Jesus. I always find it funny. Right? I do it in my name, not Jesus. I might throw Jesus on there. But you can see it even in the clue. Listen, he says... Not everyone uh, well, who says to me, Lord, Lord, but only one who does my will in heaven. Before Many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Boy, they remember that real fast. They remember all those times they did those really cool things. Hmm. What I've tended to notice is true disciples are probably, un- to an- and it makes sense where they get attacked here, they remember all of their mistakes and very few of their, their uh, victories. And that's sad, and we kind of glorify that. But the false ones, it's the complete opposite. I don't do anything wrong. Here's all the proof that I'm good. You see what I'm saying? Subtly. Doing good things to bring attention to yourself is not the same thing as in the name of Jesus. We see the line. Ready, listen. We can see. So some of you are like, well, what do I do with that talk? Some of you are truly asking. Okay, listen. Where is that line? Well, let's put this together. Let's look at it through the lens of the entire gospel, the way Jesus talked. This is what we can take. We see the line, right? Some are going to do those things, 
And Jesus is going to say, you're with me, and some aren't. How do we know? We see the line in the areas we don't want to do his will. So when faced with God's word, when faced with God's truth, when faced with God's commands, notice I'm not saying whether you fail or stumble. When faced with those things, the anger comes. How dare you? The excuses come. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I'm dealing with. Nobody understands I have a headache. Nobody understands that my, I'm sad. Nobody understands that I'm depressed. Nobody understands that I work a lot. Nobody understands I'm a single parent. Nobody understands I'm divorced. Nobody understands. How dare they? They look for the loopholes. Well, you know, um, I found one guy on uh, Reddit who told, said that Jesus meant this when he said it. We see it in the twisting or highlighting of certain sections of Scripture to avoid obeying other areas. I just told you. Right? I gave you the example ahead of time. And here's the nugget, and I've said it over and over, and I guarantee you've heard it. You ready? It's here. You remember? Anybody remember? Good. Here's the nugget. Jesus wants the thing or things we refuse to let go of. And your obedience as a disciple comes with whether you will let go. And that's why I question some in the room. Because when faced with the reality of I've got to let go, You won't do it. And sometimes those are good things and you can't understand it. The mouthing gets me in trouble because the truth is, um, why do I say church? Why do I say family? Why do I use marriages? Most pastors won't do that because those are beautiful things. And by the way, you're right. The Bible says family, I mean, it's the building block. (laughs) It is important. In fact, he says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, right, in some ways. That's not what I'm saying. But I am going to say it. Do you understand that worshiping your family and worshiping being a good parent and worshiping being will not save you. And when it comes down to the decision sometimes of whether you want to justify an inaction, not even an action, an inaction, through the worship of your idol, in this case family, you are showing the world who you follow. It's, that's the way that it is. That's why he says it throughout the Gospels. Take up your cross. This is when he started to lose people. That's why modern Christianity doesn't match up sometimes. Take up your cross. We don't talk about that. We squirt people with squirt guns and tell them Jesus loves you, and, which is true. And then we say, hey, God's going to give you money and wealth and a nice smile and a good marriage. All you got to do is do X, Y, Z. That's not in the Gospels. That's why what Ravi said is so powerful. And I know some of you are like, what do you mean? He says he takes us through the process of suffering. Jesus is the only person who does not lie to you and says there will be suffering, but I will equip you to make it through. That if you follow me, you will make it through. A Christianity with no mention of suffering is just as false as a Christianity with no mention of Christ. It is. Because it's still taken, it's a lie. Because it's always wrapped with this life improvement. That doesn't mean God won't do good things. But take up your cross, crucify your flesh. You have to surrender to follow. That's so big. You have to surrender to follow. You ready? You have to die to self to be born again. You have to understand that. This is almost philosophical because it is. Jesus does that, He makes us think. Do you understand that why you can't hold on to everything you want, even if it's good, and still follow him? And it's not even because he won't give it back someday. 
Why did he do what he did to Abraham? Was it because he wanted to mess with Abraham's head and hurt his feelings? When he said, go up there and sacrifice the son that you've been waiting for, the son I promised you. That sounds cruel until you understand that there was a moment where, do you, what kind of trust is there for a father, 90-some years old, I remember how old, finally as a kid, never had one, and is going to kill him because in his mind, if you don't think murder of an infant was bad back then, except for pagans, it was, right? The religion that weren't. He knew it was wrong, but he said, I trust my God this much. And that's the beauty of God. I've told you that. <laughs> it, gets, it can be a bad thing, but it's also a beautiful thing, that, that little uh, cartoon, right? Give me your dirty little teddy bear. And he's, Jesus has the giant nice one behind him. Raise your hand if you've seen that one. And they're like, no, it's my favorite teddy bear. And you're like, okay. I, I think it'd be better if that was a cactus, though. Right? Something that's hurting them. And like, no, it's, it's got like a, a weird teddy head sewed on it, you know. But that's what it's like. Because that's what Jesus wants. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this real quick before I go on. I know i got to hurry. I only got so much time. What's the thing you don't want to give up? I'm not even saying he's going to take it, but there has to be a willingness. And I didn't even say happily sometimes, right? To follow. We have to give up the false idols and identities. And so somewhere, you know, these two sections, the one saying, hey, what you did or didn't do for the least of these shows your heart because are you self-occupied or are you following me? Because you're following me, I know you're looking for them. I know you're going to see them because you recognize that the only difference between you and them is circumstances. There is no untouchables for a Christian. There is no too bad. There is no they've gone too far. There are none that we should not be willing to minister to because in the eyes of a holy God, there's no one worse than us. And we recognize that. Not, that's not, but there's freedom in that because of what's coming for those that do put their faith in him. It's a narrow road. So the dividing line, I'll give you your list. You didn't think I had one, did you? I'm getting, rid of, I'm getting pretty exhausted coming up with list names. But anyway, the dividing line, number one, the path is narrow. And I put is. Listen, it is narrow. Narrow is going to be more narrow than we think. Narrow is going to be more narrow than we think. People are always saying, and this is cool, I like this. They're like, we're going to be shocked who we see up there, right? People we didn't think, and we're going to be shocked who's not there. Let that sink in. Which one you want? Number two, you can do things in the name of God, but not know God. Whether you're a Christian or not, man, that's a good place. That, you know, I, there was a time, even within the ministry in the last two years, when I had to catch myself because I realized I was doing and, like, serving God and doing these things and, like, doing things for you guys. And that became what I was worshiping because I didn't remember why I was doing it, really. You can do things in the name of God but not know God. That's easy. A lot of folks talk the talk, but not a lot walk the walk. Or maybe they do, but this is for God. It's weird, though. They always want you to look at them. And they're dressed. We serve these poor in the name of Jesus. I'm like, man, why you got a suit on? Right? Or they wait to put that in until the camera comes. Anyway. 
You can do things in the name of God but not know God. So some of you in here who use the things you do well to justify the things you don't, it doesn't work that way. Number three, our love for the unlovable matters a lot to Jesus. You know, a person in jail is typically, we're embarrassed, right? That's the concept. Unless we're with our holy group. When we're with the jail ministry and I have my jail ministry shirt, then yes, I will do that. What's it look like the rest of the time? No, I can't give you money for the commissary, whatever they call it. You might use that for evil. Maybe he wants a donut. Our love for the unlovable matters. What do you do to the people that no one else wants to see, touch, talk to? Hmm? You ever reached out to that fallen pastor? Just ask him how he's doing? That fallen ministry leader? I bet you they can count on one hand how many people have checked on them in the last three, six, seven months, a year. I know, it was me. I can literally count on one hand. But boy, they were there to smile and shake hands when there was 500 people watching. When, I, when everybody was clapping for me at the big fundraiser, boy, they were all my friends. But I was, I was an unlovable now. You don't want to be associated with that guy, with that girl. with that Pharisee, right? That's me. That's where I got hit with it. Because that was my unlovable. And I was like, I'm too good for them. And God goes, mm, dang it. <laughs> Number four, this is a big one, big one, big one, big one, big one. This is just see if you're paying attention. I do weird voices. That's what I squirt you with a squirt gun. <laughs> here we go. Don't ignore your pride. Take the warning. Two parts here. Your pride is a barometer of who you really follow. Take the warning. If you know in your heart any of these are true of you, any of them, the one that says you're a justifier, the one that says that you uh, get angry when someone challenges you, the one that refuses to ever even repent or do the things that you're not comfortable with. I'm not saying struggles with it. That's different. That's part of being a disciple. I'm saying how dare you. That pride. That pride is a big deal. And there's a very big clue on who you follow in that. Because the one that follows Jesus doesn't say, how dare you? They say, how could I? There's a desire. I never want to get to the place where one of you comes and says something to me. And I don't, even if it's, and some of y'all say crazy things to me, so it does happen. But I still want to know why. The day I become closed off to that is the day that I either don't, I'm shown to not believe or I'm going to do something stupid. Take the warning. So today, please, if you're in this room, I don't care if you've been a Christian, if you'd be embarrassed. I don't care if it would be me or Tim or AJ. I don't care if you have pastor in front of your name. I don't care if you're a ministry leader. If you're here, there, I don't care if you're a pastor of a church of 5,000 people. If this is you and you can't say for certainty it's not, please take the warning. Because it'll be too late when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And number five, we cannot fool Jesus. We take that. It's very simple. I love Ravi Zacharias. And if I'm honest, I'm still making excuses in my head. I even said today, I didn't, this is funny, just today before I came, I haven't done it. I was like, I'm going to look and see if, you know, I saw in the quote, the comments, you can come and start getting ready. She's going to come play some music in a minute. But I saw in the comments of that video I showed you guys, it was an older video, but a lot of them were like, you know, he's awesome. 
And, and I looked at it, and I was like, yeah, that's two years ago, like, whatever, you know. But there's one that says, all lying tongues will be bound in hell, and I'm a witness to it. And the feeling I got was like they were saying, hey, these, they're accusing this guy, and it's wrong. And I, was, I, said, I, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, maybe something came out, and it, and it was false. Because someone said false accusers. So I wanted to Google, just because I so desperately want to prove that that isn't possible. Because I'm scared to death that if Ravi Zacharias wasn't saved, what does that mean for me? If Ravi Zacharias didn't know Jesus, I, I, don't, know what I'm gonna, I don't know what that means for me. Because I can't touch his boots. a sheep or a goat I know it's embarrassing because you know I'm going to give you an opportunity to change that and so even now you, you probably have that voice if that voice is there today it's going maybe I am either way you should respond to be encouraged or to repent and truly come to know Jesus are you a sheep or a goat do you even know can you confidently say that you are with Jesus Have you slipped into the Christian crowd? Well, I assume I am because everybody is going the way I'm going. That's a clue. I think that's a big problem with some people. You know, sometimes you see, well, all the churches are going that way, so that must be the way we're supposed to go. It doesn't say that. Do you care about what people think or do you care more about what he thinks? And do you need to admit that today? Even if it's not an issue of salvation, you know you are, but you've slipped into some of these areas, you should respond to that. Because you're called to more than that. Now, I want to tell you something. Those of you in the room that are scared, the, the ones whose hearts are truly soft and want to follow God and are scared, and you know, now you're going, <clears throat> I never mentioned today whether or not those, those sheep sinned. Jesus doesn't because we all know they do. <laughs> he, he didn't need to say that, right? You're going to slip up. You're going to, I don't even want to say, you know, sometimes that can make it too light. You, you, you're, it's going to take a while sometimes for the flesh to catch up with what he's done on the inside. And that doesn't mean that you're not a believer. And it doesn't mean that you're not saved. And it doesn't mean you can lose your salvation if you have seasons of life where you do that. The truth is, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if he is your Lord, it doesn't matter if you stumble on the road because you're still on the road. You just pick yourself back up, dust off your knees, and keep going. It just depends on are you on the road or at the gate. The most beautiful part of the gospel is that I can't lose what I never earned. <laughs> he gave it to me. And all he asks in recognition are really two things. Acknowledge me. Is who I am because in acknowledging him and follow me, which means obey, desire to. And, and that doesn't contradict what I'm saying because the reality is we should want to follow all of it, even if we stumble at times. The, the warning here is always to the people that are making excuses. Is that you? And I don't mean to scare you because this is like, don't use scare tactics. I don't want to do that. But there is a reality. The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, is coming back. And it's too late then. Here's the good news. The good news is that 
even when we fail, even when we stumble, right? That if we do that, if he is God and we are not, then he will never let us go. He will never give up on us. He will always claim us. He will always put us with the sheep, even when we go play with the goats. He's gonna grab us and put us back. He's always gonna bring us home. He's always gonna forgive us because it's already been done and over with. The gospel's this, God made everything perfect. You, me, all of this creation was made and we were to enjoy relationship with him and be his image bearers. In his name, we ruled. He's God and we're not. That's the only rule. Let me tell you what right and wrong is. And sin entered this world when we rebelled and chose to put ourselves above the king. And today, we still see the remnants, no pun intended, but maybe it was, of that. Sin and destruction and death and all those things. And listen, that's why we can't fix ourselves because the good things we do don't make up for the bad. Right? I've said this before. If I come in today and shoot or shoot all your family or steal all your things and then you come to me and the cops come and I just look at you and the cops and go, hey, but really this is the only bad day I've had. I've been really good the rest of the time. You think they're going to let me walk? No. So that's it. We are, the Bible says the wages of sin are death. It also says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That we are all sinners, so we're all in the same boat. And we're pouring up wrath, storing up wrath for ourselves. So then what do we do? We will go to hell. We will be separated from God. How do how is one saved then? Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is God made flesh. He showed us how to live, told us the way of the kingdom. Ravi said this. Told us the way. And then he gave us the way. And then he equipped us for the way. On the cross, on the cross, Jesus died for our sins, our mistakes, and yours. And he died so that you never have to. So in order to have that, to know today in true confidence that you are saved, is to say, today's the day that I acknowledge God is God and I am not. I'm sorry for what I've done, God. I confess it. No more excuses, no more mistakes. I'm a sinner. I am not good. I want what you offer, which is life. So on the cross, what happened? He took our sin, our death, He died. Three days later, he rose from the grave to conquer death so that we can conquer death. And the Bible says if we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was saved from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from what? The wrath, the goats, the sin, the eternal destruction, all of it. And then he just keeps on doing it forever. That's what that trade-off is. Some of you always get stuck in, what if I do bad things after? Okay, so yes or no. Was Jesus sacrificed just for the things you've done in the past? Or did, was it all sufficient? Because if it wasn't all sufficient, man, he got robbed. There is no condemnation in Christ. If you're in the room today, I know it's late. I'm not supposed to acknowledge it. Gene, I'm getting closer. <clears throat> this time is a time for you to respond to God for the next few minutes. I believe there's some in this room that probably need to acknowledge where they're at. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, we have a really cool opportunity coming next week. It's baptism. We can celebrate the decision. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. You are going to be judged by that one simple requirement. Do you know him truly or do you not? Whatever you do today, however you respond, there'll be people up here willing to pray with you. Don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.